Hello there, everyone. Welcome once again to the Game on Sunday podcast. Obviously, this week, more to talk about in Gaelic Games, as we would expect, I suppose, at this time of the year, because it's all getting hot and bothered now, if you like. Um, as usual here on the podcast, I'm joined by Pat Spillan and Tomás Mulcahy. There's another special guest joining us in just a moment called Aaron Maguire. More about him later. But first of all, uh, if we look back to Moss, obviously two provincial finals at the weekend. I mean, what entertainment, what spectacle. I mean, it was absolutely stunning. Uh, yeah, look, and Michael, over the last maybe three episodes, we, we were speaking so highly about Munster Hurling. Um, I was glad, I was very, very glad that we got a performance in the Leinster Hurling final as well. Um albeit only a crowd of an attendance of 24,000 as against 42 in, in the Gaelic grounds in Limerick, um, but two massive, massive spectacles. And uh, the trend that we've seen all the last couple of weeks has continued in the Hurling Championship and um, people were glued to the television, people that were at the venues. You saw the atmosphere below in Limerick before, prior to the game, after the game, on the field. It was just incredible. And... You've got to take a hat off to Limerick. Five in a row is some achievement in terms of Munster Championship, the way the campaign has gone over the last number of years, the Round Robin series. And to win five Munster Championship is 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 it's 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 incredible. What and I loved about it, Tomas, is what I absolutely loved, and you you touched on it there, is the fact that the crowd afterwards in the Gaelic Crowns to celebrate Limerick's win. I mean, it was like they had won their first ever Munster title. Uh, yeah, I was just about to say that, Michael. Look at the crowd on the field afterwards. It was like their first monster title, maybe the first monster title ever. Um, but then again, when you look at the rivalry, the proximity of both counties, as we mentioned last week, some guys, the players only happened to jump over the fence or jump over the ditch, and they were in Limerick. So going to the Gaelic grounds for them was 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 a massive challenge in terms of we want we're going to take you on in, in your backyard. Uh, backyard, but um, they delivered in the performance as well, Claire, and probably be disappointed, and we'll talk about that later, the way it finished in the end for them, but um, you've got to give massive, massive credit to, to Limerick, and, and the talk, talking points, I mean, I, I was looking at Anthony Daly on TV and Shane Dowling and stuff like that, and maybe if I was there, I, I might have thrown a little slap at Dowling and stuff like that as well, because <laughs> he, was do, he was doing fair dancing up in that platform with the crowd be, behind him, but I, I suppose it's hard to to, to disagree with him in terms of um, the emotion that was there in the crowd were singing up to him and chanting to him as well and um, it, it just made for a massive occasion and look, it was going to be a hard act to follow than going to, 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 to Crow Park. I thought I thought it was lovely that whole scene that you that you mentioned there in the RT studio and the way the crowd came over and, and reacted with the, the light. Yeah, it was all great that. to watch. It was super yeah. to watch, Michael, to be fair, right? You know, but if, if you're on the losing end of it, the way it finished, it probably is hard to take. But look, you could see the excitement in Dolan. He was just, and, and being part of the, the team over a number of years as well, you could see the emotion and the enthusiasm by him as well. But it was brilliant to see in the crowd in the background be, behind it. And then, like I was, was saying, hopefully we're going to get something in Crow Park. We're going to get a delivery in Crow Park. Um, Galway, I, I had mentioned last week um, about Galway. I needed a performance to convince myself that Galway were going somewhere this year. Um, and they did perform. Um, I know they're going to be disappointed with the result in the end, but look, they came up against a Kilkenny team that had so many defections from the starting 15 before throw-in. 
but there's something there's something about Kilkenny, Michael, that we've known so many times. Um, they just rise to the big occasion, and it was a fantastic game to watch as well. Can I add my tuppence worth just briefly, Michael? Yes, you can, of course. Because uh, you know, I'm regarded as being critical of Hormian, but the two matches last Sunday were just, uh, from a neutral point of view, were just enthralling. There were brilliant spectacles, the passion, the colour, the intensity, the skill level was absolutely amazing. But, you know, it was brilliant. I mean, I looked at the Champions League final the night before and it was boring and, and underwhelming. And the hurling certainly lived up to his billing. But, you know, the sad reality, Michael, uh, the Munster Championship is gone. Seven weeks, 11 matches. And after this Sunday, we have a great game in hurling, a great spectacle. People want and crave more inter-county action. Michael, after next Sunday, do you know how many matches, hurling championship matches there are left? There are five Five matches after next Sunday. Is that a way to promote this great game of hurling? And it is. No, it's, yeah, yeah. Look, Pat, we we, we discussed that from episode yeah. one, and I think that's probably for another day. Look, yeah, absolutely. Just need to. I just we we need to embrace what is when I walked with them last weekend in terms of the two games and like Michael, you mentioned the special guest, and no, no, I I couldn't stop laughing sitting back <laughs> watching it on TV when the guy. <laughs> An extra player in black and amber strolled down the sideline, and I was kind of wondering to myself, "What's going on here?" I was th- I was thinking to myself, um, I didn't have a match program because I was watching on the telly and all this kind of stuff. But you know the way you're trying to figure out who's come on, who's gone off, and all that kind of stuff. Well, the man who came on is actually with us right now, uh, Aaron McGuire. Hello, Aaron. How are you? Hello, lads. How are you? We're also yeah. well. Listen, uh, you made a cameo appearance, obviously, in the Leicester final last week. For those who didn't see it, just to explain, because uh, you actually came on and had a chat with TJ Reid. Yeah, so I um, had a bit of a quiet weekend this weekend um, in Dublin. Uh, didn't really get up to too much. And a few of us crowded to go to the stand. Yeah, I didn't get up too much. Yeah, I didn't get up to too much. Uh, um, and it was my, actually, it was my stag do. Um, so me and... Uh, 14 of the lads decided we'd go to the Leinster final and before the game they made me dress up uh, as a certain Kilkenny hurler Mr. TJ Reid my, my long socks and my, my blue and white helmet and my hurl and my, my jersey so uh, walking around Dublin I'm sure I've been spotted a few times and then uh, went to the Leinster final for my stag and was just sitting there every time TJ scored I jumped up and gave a shout and then after the final whistle, a few of the Kilkenny players spotted me and uh, asked me down onto the pitch. So, because I meet the man himself and got, got a great photo. It was a great way to, to remember the stag, for sure. You kept mentioning that you had a nice, quiet weekend. I don't know of any fella on his stag who's had a nice, quiet weekend. What happens on a stag, lad, stays on a stag. Sadly, this photo going to follow me a wee bit. What did, what did TJ say to you? He he just he just said, "What story here? Is this a better?" And I was like, "No, it's my stag dude." And he he thought it was hilarious. Um, I just said, "This is what happens when you order order a TJ Reid off Wish dot com." Um, so no, he he he, took, he he really enjoyed the funny side of it, and Joe asked me, "Do when the wedding is?" And am I all set? And Joe wished me well for it. So Joe, he was a hundred percent so down to earth, and um, Joe took the photo. It was just fantastic. And uh, do I think everyone's had a really good laugh of it? Ah, fair play to you. And listen, by the way, you, you didn't you didn't get arrested or anything like that, or you didn't get forced no, to watch I, a torching cup match or anything, no? No, no. Um, I think maybe packing the whole help me on this here. I definitely won't get a 96-week ban anyway, I hope. 
Uh, <laughs> well, actually, you're 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 damn lucky, Adam, because if you, if I was watching the Canadian Open golf on Sunday night, and I don't know did anyone watch it, but Nick Taylor, I that, yeah. So, yeah. Nick, yeah. Nick Taylor from Canada won it, and one of his his teammates or one of his countrymates, Adam Hadwin, a fellow golfer, ran on to the to the green to congratulate Nick Taylor, and he was rugby tackled by a big burly security guard and knocked to the ground. So, geez, Adam, you were looking. <laughs> yeah, I thought. Can I ask, Aaron, just in terms of, like, you addressed, obviously, going to the turnstile with your ticket, yeah. with the helmet and the hurley, yeah? Yeah. And no problem, get, no problem getting in? No, no, nothing at all. Like, I told the person at the turnstile, where did the players go? I'm late. And they all thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I love it. I just love it. And then you, you were sitting in the lower Hogan stand, and yeah. you kind of tell me there off the air that, Couple of the Kenny players had spotted you after the match. Is that correct? So yeah, it's, it's kind of they called you down. Would, would that yeah, be fair? Yeah, hundred percent. So they all saw saw the funny side of it and were waving, and then they called me down. So um, it wasn't a pit confusion. Thankfully, it was a uh, invited down. So um, I guess if I play my cards right, it could be there next month as well. Well, <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, all I can say to you, Aaron, is I totally admire you. Because as somebody who has presented the Sunday game for 35 years, the hassle sometimes I've had oh. to get into Croke Park about accreditation and all the rest of it. And you just you just walk in as in, not, I won't say an impersonator, I presume you bought a ticket, but uh, fair play to you. you. You showed the system isn't perfect and I love that. Well done. <laughs> Can I just say to you, Aaron, just before you go, right, just because um, your club, Breda, uh, County Down, obviously, you're playing goal there in the Hurling, yeah, in Division 2. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, open to transfers. Any transfer down to the Mecca number? <laughs> Bally Hill, if you're, if you're listening. Oh, you to Bally Hill, right? And 12 months, 12 months subscription to TJ's gym, yeah? Would you need that? No, I'd do it. Six months would do. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Great. Aaron, Aaron, listen, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're at work. I know you want to get back to work. So, listen, well done, mate. It was so funny. And fair play to TJ Reid for seeing the funny side of it as well. So, good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks very much. Have a good one. Thanks. All right, lads. Listen, we'll see you. Yeah, we're going to leave it there for just a moment. Of course, take the, the little break as usual. Uh, if you want to come back to us, folks, for the next part, uh, of the podcast and we have so much to talk about from last weekend and indeed looking forward again to next weekend it is the game on sunday podcast and you can make contact on the game on the subscription for the next part of the podcast that you're about to hear is four euro a month you wouldn't buy a bag of chips for it listen see you again i'll get a haircut michael correct Hello, everyone. Welcome back again to the Game on Sunday podcast. This is part two, uh, listening to us this week. Um, uh, still with me are Pat Spillane and Tomás Mulcahy. Looking back at the weekend, obviously, Tomás, the emphasis, of course, was on hurling with two big provincial finals that provided spectacular entertainment and also provided a couple of talking points. But Tomás, funnily enough, on this one, I'm going to start with Pat Spillane just as a neutral, if you like, because we had the Limerick Clare match played right on the borders, if you like, between the two of them. 40,000 people. It looked brilliant. 
The Leinster final, the crowd wasn't as big, about 24,000, I think. But here's a team, one of them, from the west of Ireland, and Kilkenny, obviously, was not Dublin-based. Do you think games like that should be played at a neutral venue or, in other words, someplace closer to the two counties involved? Um, well, there's no doubt about it, Michael, that the, the attendance at the Leinster Hurling final, 24,000, was, was quite abysmal. And 24,000 in an 80-something thousand stadium, is it, it doesn't make for a good uh, spectacle uh, viewing. But uh, am I surprised about uh, the strange choice of venues? I mean, Michael, uh, last weekend, last Saturday, there was two All-Ireland minor football quarterfinals played involving Kerry and Cork against Dublin and Kildare, and they took them down to Nolan Park, Kilkenny. Kerry requested Torless, maybe even Portleash. That'd be common sense approach, but uh, the choice of, of stadia sometimes is baffling. But uh, there's no doubt about it. Probably Torless would be a much better venue for Galway uh, and Kilkenny. Uh, it would get a full house. There'd be a great atmosphere or whatever. Like that. But can I just say one thing about the hurling? And I know we, Tomás will be talking about it. And Liam Gordon, the referee, came in for awful criticism for his mistake in not awarding not one, but two possible frees for player equalisers. But uh, but uh, I look at hurling and I feel sorry for the referee because, you know what, what has happened in hurling, and Tomás might allude to later on, but I see, and you see Paul Kinnear coming from a football background, I see football tactics infiltrating the game of hurling and not for the better. And the two things I look at, the emphasis on possession and the emphasis on defensive play. So the emphasis on possession means you have more shot passing, you have more hand passing. Unfortunately, when you have more hand passing, half of them are throws. That's number one. The second thing is the emphasis on defence. And Limerick are very good on the swarm tackling. And it, it's a scourge in Gaelic football. It's now a scourge in, in, in hurling. Because the swarm defence, the swarm tackling... There's an awful lot of fouling going on in that. That's almost impossible for a referee to pull up. So what happens is with the poor referees and hurling, it's like the days of one man refereeing a hurling game are gone. It's impossible. So what happens is because he cannot blow for everything. If he did, he'd have about 100 frees in the game. And he's, hurling referees just now adopt another character approach where they pull for one foul and they let another foul go, go free. And that's what happened in the hurling in, in, in the Gaelic grounds last week. He left um, things go, and unfortunately, he left the two more series, one two of the more series since go. And by the way, and and, and to defend, it, it wasn't just a bad ref, bad weekend for hurling referees. I don't know whether Tomas watched the Cork Miners played the quarter final against Dublin. They were a pint up in the sixth minute of injury time when Dennis O'Malan, the corner forward, went through. He was rugby tackled and wrestled to the ground. You'd never believe it. A free out, Dublin went up and scored the goal. So not a good refer- not a good weekend for referees in football or hurling. No, I, should, I suppose to Moss, I suppose to Moss, it's it's you know, we've been down this road so many times and I've been down it on the Sunday game and I'm I'm always conscious of the fact that when we talk about referees, we're talking about people who go to their jobs yeah. on one morning and all that kind of stuff, you know. But it but it is an ongoing thing. Michael, it, it is right. And can I just say to our listeners, I did promise we'd make a jewel star out of Spelan in terms that we would convert him to the hurling. He's now a hurling expert as well, right? And I'm trying to help him here, by the way. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and I do agree with him. He's made very, very, very valid points, right, Michael? And you mentioned about the venues and stuff like that, right? Something that happens in Munster hurling is because of the size of the venue. You're 46,000 into Parky, we've your 44,000 into Limerick. 
you're close to 50,000 going into Turles. You look at the back, the pack venues in Walsh Park are in Turles with, 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 with sorry, there was matches in Walsh Park, but in, in NS, NS for player, like you put 40,000 from Galway and Kilkenny into a venue, it will create massive, massive hype, right? And I think that's something that has to be looked at because like you've a toss of a coin, home advantage between Cork and Tipperary, Cork and Limerick, Cork and Kerry, and it works a treat and you get your chance every given year, right? But there's one thing I have to say here, Michael. I I, I, I saw over the weekend a fellow Cork man of mine, a very prominent upcoming broadcaster. He's going to remain nameless, but he's from East Cork. He's the same surname as myself, Mulcahy. And as Michal O'Murahertig would say, no relation, still no relation, and he won't be any relation of mine, thank God. For the reason why, yeah. he suggested, he suggested we take the Munster hurling final to Crow Park, a double header. I think that man is losing the plot completely. I rest my case. You're not very good as a Kerry accent, by the way. No, terrible, far from that. I tried my best. He won't, make a, he, he won't make a living as an impersonator either. Yeah, go on. Yeah, no, let's get on to the, 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 the serious side of it, the hurling, yeah? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, look, in the, in the earlier part of the, the podcast, before the break, and I hope people were listening, because I was in, um, absolutely happy to emphasize the fact that Limerick are Munster champions, Kenny are Leinster champions. Fair play to both of them. Brilliant teams in both occasions. So anything we discuss going forward from here, it's not taking you away from their success because they deserve every little bit of it. But there were incidents in both matches. One of them, the Munster Harding final, was a refereeing decision. Game is over for those who didn't see it. Well, when I say it's over, it's it's time pretty much up. Now, I, I understand the difficulty the referee was in here because I thought a puck out by Limerick, or a puck in by Limerick, I should say, had gone wide. Apparently it hadn't. There was a quick puck out. There was a foul on a player player. As a complete neutral in this, I thought he wasn't fouled once. I thought he was fouled twice. Correct. And the referee blew the full time. Michael, yeah, and I agree. Look, he's from your own county, and um, the referee, Liam Garden. People might ask the question, was he an experienced? He's an experienced enough referee. He refereed Limerick versus Waterford this year. He's been on, on the scene maybe for the last two or three years, doing some big games in the league and championship. And a few things that kind of are, are my verdict and, and, and my thoughts on it. Certainly, um, when the, I, I think the ball went wide, but it was a quick puck out. Michael, time was up. And then he blew back the puck out, the fast yeah. one, for whatever reason, I can't understand because it was going on all day on both on both sides between with, with both goalkeepers. And he called it back. And then you had a pitch invasion. And he's looking at his clock and he says, I'm gone over time here. They clear the pitch. He allows the play to go on. Now, how he could blow the full time whistle the way he did. Look. It was clear two fouls, uh, two two fouls. It wasn't on the same player. It was two different players. It was Tony Kelly that was upended first. It was a high challenge in normal play. It could have been easily, a, it would easily have been a yellow card. It could have been a red card. And and no, and he blew the final whistle. I, I thought it was an extraordinary decision, to be fair, right? Now, 
Can I just take it back further, Michael? Because I'm kind of being critical about that decision, but I also go back to an earlier decision in the second half, the yellow card for Garrett Hagerty. I think I don't know whether you can remember that incident. Yeah, again, Garrett Hagerty caught a great ball, was tackled 30, 40 yards from goal, broke the tackle, went through, and as he was going through, there was two clear defenders came, came, and one took him to the ground as he was about to release the ball, and the other one, there was a bit of a shoulder charge as well. But the ball had gone into Angeland's hand in a scoring opportunity, a goal-scoring chance. Now, he blew back for a, 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 an original free that was outside, but he had given the advantage. Now, what I saw from that, Michael, was he went in, consulted his umpires. He had a good chat with the umpires, and I've looked back on it again numerous times. And then he walked out towards the D, and he put his hand up to his earpiece in his ear, and the little clip at the side, and he had a discussion. Now, I feel he had the discussion with the fourth official on the, on, the, on the sideline. And then he looked with his five or two hands up, looking for number 10, and he slapped a yellow card to Garrett Hagerty. Yeah. But there was no action taken against the two clear players that took down Garrett Hagerty after releasing the ball to Galan for a clear goal-scoring opportunity. And I said to myself, this is baffling, right? Because that decision, and we go back to the last 30 seconds play, if this same referee or the fourth official had seen what went on with the first offence, he should be kind of reacting quickly to this to say this was a free. If the referee felt there wasn't, because it was a clear free. It was a clear free. The question I suppose... Pat, but, Pat, and yes, Mike, is, but can I, can I add Pat, to on that, on a broader On a broader yeah. level, Pat, yeah. Um, on this thing because this isn't just about hurling refereeing no. obviously or GEA it's soccer everything um, are there too many voices in referees ears these days well, 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 that's well, my, I, you, I think that's my point sorry Pat who, who made the call to give the yellow I know card that, that, I know that's it yeah. Yeah. that's a fair point yes there's no doubt about it the game of Gaelic football and the game of hurling in particular is a very, very difficult game to officiate. Two difficult, two very difficult games to officiate for one man. And I think, first of all, the referee needs more help from the linesman. That's number one. Maybe we're going to go into the realms. We might have to embrace. We embrace Hawkeye. We might have to embrace uh, a third referee, a VAR or video technology that in the event of, of certain contentious decisions, and particularly if the referee gets it wrong, that a fourth official with the aid of video or with the aid of technology uh, gets a chance to change the decision and rectify a wrong. But you know, uh, like you do feel sorry because the workload, the amount of rules in, like uh, David Goff made an interesting comment talking about the new uh, the rules being introduced and there's new experimental rules next year in, uh, in the in the in for football. But the referees have never been consulted. So there's no doubt about it. The workload they're getting is, is absolutely massive. They have a split second to make that decision. Now, if the decision is wrong, well, then they're hung out to dry. So why not have video technology to change that decision? But can I just say one simple practical suggestion to decrease, to reduce the amount of workload? And that is, why not, like ladies football, introduce a time clock? to at least take that onerous uh, job 
of figuring out how much extra time should be played out of them. Because at the moment, referees, it's subjective, it's random. The figures are plucked from, from thin air. In in the minor quarterfinal between between Cork and Dublin, the referee indicated six minutes of injury time. And actually, there was another three minutes played. So why not have a hooter? Take that role of timekeeping at least out of the referee's hands and then you know there's some certainty. But I do feel sorry for the referees. I really do feel sorry. Yeah, and like, I, agree it was, I agree with you, Pat, by the way, on the ladies' football thing. I think that works very, very well. Do you think, Tomas, of all these games we watch, be it Gaelic games, soccer, rugby, whatever, the rugby seems to get it better than most because, in my opinion, uh, the referee looks to me like he's still in charge of it, but he does have video assist, you know. Um, in other words, yeah, he, I, he seems I, to be running I, the show as opposed to people running the show in his ear. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but the, 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 the yeah, the, the rugby guys, yeah, for a high challenge, they get a spot on for the TMO, ball over yeah. the line, touchdown and stuff that they get a spot on, right? But just go back to the match. Michael, look at the referee's position in those two last plays, right? I don't know. It was high octane. It was high tension. It was, it was like John Kiley said himself, like the tension was unbearable, but he was the closest man to all that thing. And like, you could say an element of VAR in terms of a fourth official, if it was the fourth official in terms of a, 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 a with Garrett Hagerty's incident. But this one, the main man was five, 10 yards away from it. And the high challenge on Tony Kelly was, very close, borderline red card, right? And he saw that. He had to blow that one first. The ball broke again, and there was a second challenge where the clear, where the clear player was actually, he was swarm tackled by three yeah. Limerick players, and he could go nowhere. And it was, a, it was a free there as well. And I don't know what was in his mind to say, I'm blown up the whistle here for full time. Only that man can explain it. And I agree with you both. It is now becoming an impossible job for what Pat, Pat described, the strength and physical conditioning of the players, the swarm tackling, the hits. It's you want eyes in the back of your head. But look, he did go to his umpires. He did have a chat with, with, with the Garrett here that he won with the, with the fourth official. And I just wonder why there wasn't more. Um, well, and I, that's I, I, I understand, I understand it, Tomas. Yeah, as I understand it, the umpires don't have any um, no. official role in this. No, they don't. He don't. But they, he went in and consulted them in terms of the yellow card. And you could say, yeah, maybe Garrett Taylor did the deserve the yellow card. He upended your man. He caught it by the leg and lifted him onto the ground. To me, it was well, what happened before him. Before that, look, it, 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 I didn't think it, was, it deserved the yellow card. Being honest with you, but anyway, look, I think. Let's talk about the quality of the game. Let's talk about yeah, let's, let's talk about yeah. let's talk about hurling. Because, said, the hurling, apart from those incidents, the hurling was was absolutely fabulous. Again, we repeat, and, and I for for about seventy minutes, I enjoyed the Galway Kilkenny match, and then at the end of the game, Jesus, guess what? Galway managed to spill it. In my view, and fair play to Kilkenny and all that. What was your view of it, Tomas? Well, I, I think you know. Um, that is something I questioned last week in terms of the consistency from Galway, where they were at. I needed them to put their hand up to say there are learning contenders. I need to see a, a massive performance for them against Kilkenny. When I sat down to watch the match and I seen 
these guys missing from Kilkenny. I said, yeah, this is Galway's day. And Michael, they started unbelievably well. I think they went five times to one up. They were sh- uh, scoring freely. They were getting possession inside to um, to Connor Whelan, and like he was, he he was getting the return, and um, he was on farm. He was their go-to man. He was brilliant. But out of no- out of nowhere, the consistency from Galway of conceding soft goals rose its head again and brought Kilkenny right back into the game. And it was incredible two goals, right? Coming from, like, Walter Watch wasn't on the field too long. And yeah. when you look hips back and stuff like that, Michael, he caught a high ball from, from, from a long clearance, catches this overhead. But look at the space that he had to run and finish the ball to the back of the net. And no Galwith defender in sight or even getting across to cover him. And look, that's that's something that's a serious concern. Very good going forward. Had great passages of play in the game. Got some excellent scores. Like, And you have to give him credit, I suppose. And Shefflin said it afterwards, right? They went eight points down. And to come back and to go the two points up. And then see what happened over in that right corner of the Hogan stand within the last 30, 40 seconds of play. And you'll be saying... There was three, four guys, if not five guys, had a hand in the ball, dropped it, failed to pick it, and all it needed was a boost to kick it all over the touchline for a 65, and once that shot was was taken, the game was over. And uh, Jenny McTomas, like, you know, looking at, you you mentioned Walter Walsh and his, his if you like, cameo role and all that. I, I looked at Walter a couple of times. As we all know, he's a very, very big guy in that. He was going past Galway defenders like he was Usain Bolt. He, he was, Michael Rice. And, you know, and the new guys that came into into the system for, for um, you know, and like that's where kind of Kilkenny are at at the moment. They have to try new blood. They have to bring in kind of less mm. experienced players with the legs, with the with the running. And then they're holding back the wall to watch the Kenyan Buckley, as we saw us, uh, Padraig Walsh coming into the equation. And look at the experience that they have on, on the bench. But they had to bring in Walter much quicker than I would have felt they were going to do it on that day. But my God, did he deliver. He was outstanding for them. And his fitness levels, he seems a lot slimmer. He seems uh, much more sharp um, than I've seen him for a while. Um, but but a couple of things, Michael. And look, prior to this, we had said, like, Kenny, there's something that they do always well. When they get an opportunity for goal, they go for it. And yeah. they got inside defenders on Sunday, and I've seen so many guys in the past being happy enough to tap the ball over the bar. And even that Mikey Buckler, the cornerback, getting up to feel like that, he had no interest of tapping a ball over the bar and heading back down to his, his backline position. Once he saw that goal chance, my God, he wanted a green flag. And that was a massive, massive difference for Kilkenny on, on Sunday. Um, kept them, pushed them that, that far ahead, you know. And look, I, I have to mention of a, a young guy, Blanchfield, at wing back because yeah. that was the other part of what they do so well is their high fielding. And it doesn't matter. It's, it doesn't have to be their experienced guys. The younger generation that are coming into this Disky Kenny team are making it so easy to put their hand up and fetch ball out of the air when other players are putting the hurley up or failing to catch it. My God, they do it so well. And it was a joy to watch. And it made for a fantastic... Uh, second half of the game. I really enjoyed the Leinster final, and I know we've been critical of Leinster hurling and there was a couple of jabs back on Sunday from different people that Leinster hurling and people talking about it. Yeah, they delivered on Sunday. Okay, look at um, 
and yeah. through all that, Tomas, uh, let's let's talk football going forward for the next few minutes and all that. But once again, as we, if you like, close out the the, the review of the two provincial finals in Harding, congratulations to Kilkenny and congratulations to Limerick. We're going to see them, and I've no doubt, obviously, we're going to see the teams they beat as well going forward over the next couple of weeks. Let's talk football, Pat. Um, and okay, yeah, what, weekend coming up. What, uh, well, last no. weekend, Michael, because let's yeah. let, let, let's give uh, uh, let's turn the spotlight on on the Talton Cup, which gave us some very good matches, but also some surprising results. I mean, Wexford from Division Four beating Offaly. Wexford scoring one goal and twenty two points. All their scores coming from play. That's that's some achievement. You have the Carlow New York game was a good competitive game. New York had certainly reorganised since their horrible defeat by Sligo, and it was a good game. Leash from Division 4 going up to Irvinstown and beating Fermanagh. That was a big surprise. And I watched the down uh, Longford game on Diego and for 50, 60 minutes was a really good competitive close game. So the Talton Cup gave us great matches last weekend. And like I said, Michael, we have four matches. And you said it, I think, at the top of the programme. We have four Talton Cup quarterfinals this week that are that are very hard to, to call. And there's the big one between Cavan and Down on Saturday. That'll be a huge, huge match. That's it. Uh, Meath are playing Wexford, uh, Lauter or uh, Limerick are playing Leash, so, uh, and Anson playing Carlos. So they're, they're, they're hard games to call. So that's the Tantum Cup, which is continuing to continue. In fairness, what I like about the Tantum Cup, I thought there was good crowds at the game. I thought the level of football, the standard of football was very good and even better that the Tantum Cup, like last year, has been embraced by management and players alike and it's a competition worth, worth winning and, and worth playing in. So that's the Tantum Cup and of course it's a huge weekend, Michael. This coming weekend is a huge weekend because it's round three in the Sam Maguire and we said last week out of the 16 counties that entered into Sam Maguire, only one this weekend are out of the race, and that's Clare. Uh, the rest of the other 15 counties have a chance. So the Clare match, it, it's gas in a way, you know, if it was Sky or some, or whatever, if they were into marketing, you'd say you'd market this weekend in the Sam Maguire as being super football weekend, right? Because only the Derry Clare game is a, it's a dead rubber. But at the same time, you should have the round one and round two on a Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, round three on a Sunday afternoon, round four later Sunday, and maximise the publicity. Do you know the gas part about it, Michael? Okay, the Clare Derry game is not on TV, right? I understand or on Go either because Clare are out of the competition. I can get that. So the other seven matches, Michael, have something to play for. And out of the seven matches, one match is not being shown on Diego, and one match is not being shown on RT. You couldn't make it up. Do you know what match that is, Michael? That is the match involving the All-Ireland champions, Kerry, playing Nucci Hearts Lout. I mean, talk about whoever is in charge of scheduling. Not Because this is a big match, because if Lout beat Kerry, Kerry could be knocked out of the championship. It's a huge match. And it's not, I, I feel like I should borrow Don Logue's script and tell me and, and tell everyone that there's hundreds of elderly people in Kerry who, for the second championship match in a row, can't see their beloved county on television. But anyway. Jesus, Pat, you've changed talk here. You were criticizing him a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, no, but what I would say is, what I would say, 
like uh, it, it this is this is a case of of mm. trying to of playing too many matches in a short space of time and some yeah. match suffers but the match that's suffering carry a lot is crazy because you don't don't you don't not televise the All Ireland Championship and there's huge games, Michael. There is huge games in this year's chapter. Now there's two matches in weekend. Manon and Donegal is going to be a hard one to call on Saturday. Uh, the big ones on Sunday. Um, the big the, the big the big uh, section is the set is, is, is involved in your own county Galway. So you have Galway Armagh, Tyrone, Westmeath, and all. Now Galway have qualified for the last twelve. The other three have a chance to qualify. Uh, so that's that's a huge one. Uh, the Kerry. Kerry and Mayo will prop Kerry will probably beat Loud, but it'll be a tough game. Kerry struggled to break down this blanket defence. Mayo will look for a better performance than they did against Loud against Cox. So look, I, I I'm trying to say what counties will qualify. The counties that probably will qualify are uh, uh, I presume I would say Dublin, Roscommon, and Kildare from four. I would imagine Kerry uh, Mayo in first, Kerry in second, and Ross and uh, and Cork and Tord. I would imagine Galway, Tyrone and Armagh would qualify. And obviously we know who qualified in, in Donegal. Uh, Donegal and uh, Monan and Derry have qualified over one. So huge, because the big thing, Michael, and, and people don't realise this, because the importance of these matches, because if you come first, that means you have two weeks of a break, which is very, very important. But if you come second or third, you go into the preliminary quarterfinal next Sunday, which means those counties that are playing in the preliminary quarterfinal will be playing three do-or-die championship matches three weeks in a row. Gee, that's tough going, Michael. It is. The two the two games live on television, On when I say live on television, I mean live on the Sunday game on Sunday are Roscommon and Kildare and Galway and Arman, as Pat said there. Uh, look, they're, they're all, it's last chance saloon for a lot of these counties, as Pat was alluding to there. Um, talking about the, the, this business, and we've spoken about this before, of games coming so thick, so fast, and all that. Larry McCarty, the GEA president, was asked, Pat, about this at the weekend. And, you know, this, this whole um, condensed calendar, whatever. And he was making the point that he believes players want to be playing matches than running around a training field for a couple of weeks to get their next game. Oh, would you agree with that? I, I, I can get that. Yeah, players would much prefer and, and before the ratio the ratio of, of inter-county training sessions to games was something like 11 or 30 to 1, which was crazy. So yeah, absolutely, more, more matches. However, the problem what they've done with the split season, I know we're back at it again, but the problem is they've put They've thrown too many matches into too short a space of time. And while lads love playing matches, these lads are amateur players. These lads are going to work on a Monday morning. And playing, for example, uh, Inter-County today, playing a championship at Sunday, the following week playing the preliminary uh, quarterfinal, the following Sunday playing the quarterfinal. Ah, for Inter-County player, that's crazy. And right, yes, they want to play more matches. But what, what it has resulted in this year, okay, to look after the club player, that in the last 12 months, for 12 months, David Clifford and Paddy Clifford played an entire 12 months with no break. So, is that fair? No. So, I agree 
Yes, they need more matches, less training, but the format at the moment is still wrong. It's still assways, and they need they need yes more matches, but they need breathing space for the competitions, and they need rest uh, and recuperation for this, our star elite players. At the moment, our star elite players are trying to serve two masters into county and club, and they're being slugged. Michael, but can I just the question, is, the question is, is is this? Um, and this is this is something that's been going on for years. You get you get all these managers and backroom teams having all these training sessions for which they're getting paid. Our teams being I know this sounds almost like a joke, but but you know what I mean. Our teams being overtrained. In other words, are they? In other words, is too much being asked from them? Yeah, I I I, I do agree because like. You're a professional in an amateur status as a player. Um, you're 24 seven. You have your team sessions. You have your individual, um, uh, gym programs that you have to adhere to. You have your diets. You have, you have, your whole life has changed when you become an inter, in, 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 in the county setup, right? And, um, and that's not just along the summer months. This has continued right into the winter time, you know, and, um, I was talking to Patrick Horgan recently, and uh, I know, like the Thursday night after or the following week after Cork thinks of the championship, they all met together, and there was kind of an fitness program put in place for these guys, um, so that they'll be monitored when they come back as a group, uh, yeah. the next time for 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 next season, right? And um, I, and he was, and look, I was talking to Patrick, and he said, I'm at a set certain level of fitness now. I'm coming back to my club, and I can't afford to let that drop. I put too much effort to get into this, right? You know, but I think, Michael, for us here on, on this podcast, the game on Sunday, I think that's for another day. And I just have one minute because I didn't think, I don't think we did the Munster Hurling time, the service it deserved, right? In terms of a couple of points I want to make. Player will be disappointed with the end result. They'll be result, uh, disappointed with the free, not given, but they had enough chances to win it. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, if, and if enough chances in the second half period to win it. A few things came out of it for me in terms of Limerick. Declan Hannon, I think for the third match in a row, limped off as their number six. I take credit to Clare in one aspect. They went at that Limerick half-back line. We didn't see a same, the same Damer Burns or Declan Hannon. They had success there. But where they struggled, I mean, I'm finding it hard to get myself and my head around this in terms of the opposition when they go to take on Limerick, is the space that they have in front of their full forward line and time and time again for them last Sunday clear it was on it was a star man performance by Galan and I know you know Keane Nolan came in for a lot of criticism he probably should have went uh, take been taken off earlier but look at the pictures that were shown in terms of the gap between the half back line of Clare and that full forward line like that's that's so good for Limerick but this, this, this isn't the first time that has happened. This has happened for the last five years that they're winning most of the championships. They want to expose the opposition. And I think, like, John Conlon, for me, was the best man for player in the championship to date. Last Sunday, Limerick's trump card put David Reedy in on top of him, and David Reedy goes out towards midfield. And then John Conlon is in his mind, do I go or do I stay? And I think there had to be cover in front of Conlon to stop those balls that were going down, and I think it, it, it was it was an error on Clare's on Clare's side because they left too much space. And then the other side of it, I think 
Limerick, when they went five pints up, and I'll finish on this, when they went five pints up, I thought they could have pushed on to go seven or eight points ahead. And I come back to Pat's point. What did they do? Which I hadn't seen for Limerick for a long time. They went defensive. They brought so many guys back behind the ball to protect the lead. And what happened? They were clearing the ball back out to clear guys who were free and allowed them to tack. And they brought them back into the play. And I think that's something that would be a worry for me with Limerick when they had Gillan and one or two Adam English coming into play. They were on top of their game and the lack of supply to them in the last 10 minutes could have cost them dearly. But How many they- seconds, lads? How many seconds is there in a cock minute? <laughs> oh Jesus! I I I, I end on that rhetorical point. I tell you, I said you span. But I'm interrupting, and I had I had to say, my God, I have to come in and talk about monster hurling again. I I end on that rhetorical question. Uh, and can I just say, Flan, Flan, coming from you. Kettles <laughs> and pots, Michael. Thanks, thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Your haircut is lovely. Come on, kettles and pots. <laughs> Listen, guys. Um, fair play to the two of you. This conversation has been nearly as hectic as the two Leicester Harding Championship matches at the week, or the two Harding Championships, I should say, at the weekend. Fair play to the both of you. I, I, I've really enjoyed that. And that, as you said, guys, is where we're going to have to leave it. Thanks to everybody for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it as well. So uh, hope to talk to you next weekend and hope to have more fantastic discussion. In the meantime, take care.